welcome to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, a podcast for Catholics who love the beauty of the church's sacred tradition. My name is Chris, and this is episode 83, and I'm joined today by my beautiful, glorious, handsome co-hosts, Mike, Brooke, and Tim. So if you haven't yet, make sure uh, that you hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening, and uh, please leave us a five-star review if you can. All right. So on the podcast today, we are continuing to answer the question from our friend, Jen Van Awesome, who reached out to us on our Instagram and asked us to share basically our conversion stories. So today, um, we're going to be talking about Tim's story. If you haven't listened to the uh, previous podcast, we got into Mike's story. So make sure you go back to the previous episode and listen to that. It's great. Um, But yeah, so today we're going to continue diving into the great story of what God has done in our lives and uh, start with uh, or continue with Tim's story. But before we do that, I'm going to throw it over to Brooke and have her start us off with a little icebreaker. Okay, guys. So the world really wants to know, have you ever been told you look like someone famous and who was it? If no one specifically has told you that you look like someone famous, then right here, right now, as buddies, we have to tell who they remind you of. Chris, I'm going to throw it your way because I know exactly who you're going to say. Okay. <laughs> well, there's two. There's two. There's two stories. Mike okay. knows. Mike, Mike can. But only one is true. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, there's, there's kind of, there's kind of two, there's two people that I've been compared to. Right. So the first and most common one is definitely Jack Black. I don't know if that's true. Do you guys think I look like Jack Black? You have a couple of features that could be you like have him. Face. Yeah. <laughs> you used to more. Yeah, probably when your hair was shorter. Probably also when you had more of like a, uh, I don't know, like a a punk kid look. Mm. You know what I mean? Like when you dressed like more more teenager ish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny back then you could have stepped into school of rock or something yeah anyway okay you wait before i dressed teenager ish is that what you said yeah i'm literally like jack black li- i'm literally wearing a demon slayer anime t-shirt <laughs> 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 How old are you again, Chris? Just, shh, just for shh. the record. No, no, I'm not going <laughs> to put my age out on the internet for some weirdo to steal my identity. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm 36. Um, okay. Wait. So the other, the other, the other person I look like. So Mike was here for this, and it was it was so amazing. So uh, we went to go see Five Iron Frenzy, the great. Uh, I guess you could say maybe formally Christian ska band. And uh, we were enjoying the show. It was kind of a small show, which was actually wild. And uh, <laughs> and then uh, Leonore, who's the saxophonist, 
pointed to me in the crowd and said, this song's for you, Silent Bob. <laughs> I can see that. that yes, yes, Silent Bob. You need a you need a trench coat and a backwards baseball cap. Yes, yeah, exactly. No, when I put on a when I put on a hat, man, it's oh, Silent Bob all the way. Yeah, that's awesome. So now that's I do that's have a, an opinion on this, and I'm going to send the graphic to you that I've made. <laughs> I think nice. that you favor in a very certain way, Jason Momoa. <laughs> <laughs> nice. We should Fewer put that on gills our Instagram. And scales. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fewer gills and scales from what I've seen on the movies, but, you know, otherwise dead on. That's funny. Did you know that Jason Momoa was actually in St. Thomas and did a. Yeah. They, they did a. I don't know if it was a TV show or if it was a movie. I can't remember, but. Yeah. I, was it called Eyes or something or yeah, Blind? Did or anyone see the two of you together at the same time? <gasps> I'm still trying to quash those Batman rumors. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now imagine Tim and Father Mike Schmitz as Robin. <laughs> Gosh, you guys. That would be Gosh, oh, me, Batman. Man, Which one what is Dick Grayson? <laughs> I I could see Father oh. Mike Schmitz Father Mike Schmitz as Robin for sure. Did you did you hear that Father Mike got a tattoo? <gasps> what? No way. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was on the internet today. Father Mike got a tattoo. So I, I think the that. uh Tattoos being a mortal sin thing is now settled. (laughs) (laughs) Depends on what he got. Let's let's. Yeah, it's apparently. I think it was like the name of Jesus or something along those lines. So, Mm. wow, how original. (laughs) Hmm. I'm I'm cool with it. All right, Tim. Mm -hmm. Tim, who do you look like? Do you have a celebrity lookalike? It's been a long time and it was a very, very different haircut, but I got compared to Josh Hartnett, who was in Black Hawk Down. Josh mm. Hartnett. I have to Google this right now. Yes. Yeah. It's been a really long time. Since I can't okay. It, though. I see it. Yep. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. H-A-R-T-N-E-T. And there's a little bit of a story behind it because I was walking through the airport in Chicago and I had this kid come running up to me and said, you were great in lucky number 11. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, wow, thank you. (laughs) Like part of it was like, what in the world is going on here? And yeah, it's like, you know, okay, thank you. And he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. See that's it. the picture. That's the picture right there. Yeah. <laughs> and I had that haircut at that <laughs> point. It's the, it was the buzz cut. I mean, yeah. So this kid comes around to me. I loved you in Lucky Number Seven. I'm like, oh, thank you. And like, I'm looking at my girlfriend and like giving her the eye, like, what do I do? And she goes, come on, Josh, just give this kid an autograph. Like, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so if, astronomical chances you happen to be walking through uh, ORD in the early 2000s and you thought you may have got Josh Hartman's autograph I'm really sorry (laughs) (laughs) actually you got someone even better 
It's Tim, Tim from Theology of the Buddy. <laughs> Tim from Theology of the Buddy. Yep. Not uh, disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. All right. Okay, Mike. Do you have one? Okay. So, I mean, there's just last week, I, it was compared to uh, this celebrity called St. John of God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I got like I got a, this commission. like a live action prayer card just walking around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I got a commission from this wonderful lady and she's like, I need you to do this saint for me. And I'm just like, okay, cool. So I look it up and I'm just like, cool. I'm just drawing my husband. No big deal. It's literally just a European looking guy with a beard and a shaved head. That's, you know, I'm like, yeah, that's my husband. <laughs> Yep. So that's not, I'm not doing the Titanic funny. joke. I'm not doing the Titanic joke. No, now you got to. I need it. to hear it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nope. No, you can't just <laughs> say this on the podcast and just oh, like man. retract. Lude. What? The whole paint me like your French girls joke. <laughs> <laughs> Tried to warn you guys because I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's over there like, no, 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 stop, stop, more, like, no, 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 Yet you let the rubbing butt cheeks squeak by, just saying. Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm going to find a way to work rubbing butt cheeks into every episode from here on out. That's this one. And yeah. Mike also had another lookalike for me for the longest time. So remember when before Mike shaved his head? So before Mike shaved his head and before he grew a beard, I was like, why do I find Mike so attractive with a shaved head and a beard? It's because he reminded me of Ryan Clark from Demon Hunter. Hands down. Tim looks more like Ryan Clark than Mike does. That's true. (laughs) Yeah, but she doesn't know me then. It's just just because I did the same beard and haircut as Ryan Clark. Yeah. I actually look like him. Yeah. That's more like wishful. Like, oh wishful man, he looks Brock. so metal now. Yeah. <laughs> I copied his style. But I you didn't, didn't get the I tattoo though. I didn't copy though. it enough to tattoo a giant spider web on the top of my bald head. Though. <laughs> that was a, a great decision for Ryan Clark. He looked so great with that. Not. <laughs> Boy. Yeah, that was real bad. Yeah, <laughs> it's safe to say I have no celebrity looking likes. Moving on. No, you can't just get out of that. You you no, said you said that no, we no. could we could throw out. Pull it back. Yeah. <laughs> has nobody? Don't say my brother. Had, Don't he's not a celebrity. But who, ha, who has nobody ever said that you've looked like? like somebody else? I've heard that I have. I've I have a doppelganger out there. Yeah. Like there's a couple, one person was like, I swear you look just like such and such and such and such a person. They're my niece. And I'm just like, okay. It's <laughs> I have a- people that I wish that I looked like <laughs> and people that I'm like, if I could just look a little bit more like Enya, I'd be happy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I loved her. It's a weird example. Yeah. I, I know yeah, what she, she sounds she, like. But, I don't but know she's she fair haired, like. blue eyed and brown with brown hair. And so I was just like, I, I, I can try, but can't. <laughs> I uh, I shared something on our Instagram stories today. Um, it was uh, Christian Roms in Walmart. I don't know if you've seen it yet. 
but the, oh, no, I the no. lady that's in that video has certain mannerisms that are very Brooke-like that I was like, oh, that's very much like Brooke. And I don't get to see, I don't see people doing the certain facial expressions like you do um, very often, yeah. but yeah. So that I was, communicate that's a the lot in my face. I could think of. Mm. I communicate a lot of things with facial expressions, especially when like, it's just like me and Mike at home or it's just like yeah she just looks disgusted all the time (laughs) (laughs) disappointed (laughs) yeah grumpy yeah yeah cool i have no celebrity lookalikes you're just wow i'm a unique unique. so you purposely you purposely set us up with a question that would just have no ending All right. Cool. Well, thanks for thanks for the little icebreaker, Brooke. Thanks for coming out. <laughs> <laughs> She'll be here all week. Mm. <laughs> Do you guys know how much a polar bear weighs? No. Enough to it break is. the ice. All right. Let's go. Oh. <laughs> all right. You so- need Jesus. <laughs> I do. <laughs> oh, hey, I found him. Uh, just kidding. I kind of I have a picture of him right here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so if you pulled up a monstrance, we we're gonna have a talk. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Wait, don't, no, I don't have one in there. I don't have one in there. I think I do it's have a, a picture. Top with his but... trunk. <laughs> <laughs> uh anyway. Um so we're we're gonna continue talking about um our for lack of a better word. I know it's cliche, but our journeys um, and, you know, kind of what God has done in our lives and where we started to take the faith more seriously. And uh, yeah. So, Tim, you want to just get into it? Tell us a little bit about kind of where you came from, who you are, and like when God kind of kind of intervened and turned your life around. Absolutely. Okay. So. I I was born into a Protestant family, Anabaptist, uh, Mennonite specifically. So like we discussed before, to the left of Amish, but with toasters. <laughs> so yeah, we had electricity, but also very, very simple. My mom made most of my clothes when I was a kid you know, we, in church and around the community. You would see women wearing bonnets. I mean, it was very, very, very off the mainline Protestant Christianity. But uh, so Anabaptist, it was founded back by in the day by a Catholic priest, never joined a religion founded by a Catholic priest um, <laughs> named Minnow Simmons. So it was called Mennonites. But uh, yeah. And my family moved around quite a bit when I was a kid. So there's really not like one specific place where I can really say that I grew up. But you know, I do claim Texas because, you know, it was definitely the place where I was the happiest. You know, I spent a lot of time there. I've gone back many, many times. I uh, went out to fire school at a and uh, I've got a bunch of ties to the school there. And, you know, just it's kind of kind of where I would, if I were to re- pick a place to retire, you know, I would get myself a little ranch right outside of Amarillo. But uh, yeah, so <laughs> moved around a bunch as a kid. But for the first part of my life, it was mainly in Mennonite communities and such. I was born up in Michigan, up in up near Flint. Uh, you guys are probably pretty familiar. Yeah, so uh, just across the bridge. 
Wow. Don't drink the water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Elon Musk, we're looking at you. <laughs> yeah. Still waiting on it. I know. He can everything. he can buy yeah. he can buy the Twitter, but he can't fix the types. Okay. Uh yeah. So <laughs> and I, I always took the faith really seriously, honestly. You know, I was raised in Sunday school. We had a kind of like a scouts thing called Awana which was an acronym for a verse from, I think it was Timothy approved workers are not ashamed. So I want to, and it was, you memorize Bible verses, you get awards and you have play games with other kids, you know, a lot of fun, you know, and the community life was fantastic. If I could have that in a Catholic context, I would go for it in a heartbeat. I mean, we had dinners together at the church multiple times a week, you know, the community, you know, nobody's doors were locked. You know, people just come knock on the door and up, say, Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Everybody knew everybody by first name. Of course, it was, you know, 150 people in these towns, but, you know, some very, very small, very tight knit communities. You know, we had, you know, the, it was essentially the neighborhood watch. If I got into trouble, everybody knew about it. My mom was going to find out. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a good, wholesome way to grow up. You know, at, I think one time I, was the talk of the town in like first grade, I decided I was going to be a punk rocker for Halloween, (laughs) (laughs) which, you know, involved me spiking up my hair and in in a cohawk because, you know, I had a big, it was in 1980s at this point. So it was big poofy hair, but uh, I I got some of my mom's moose and spiked it up in a mohawk and put a bunch of uh, safety pins up and down my shirt, a black shirt. So that was my punk rocker costume, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so we go around the whole town, you know, everybody knew everybody. So there was never any place that you could, you know, you, you can't go to these houses. You can't go to that street. It's not safe. None of that, none whatsoever. You know, we prayed in school, you know, before meals, you know, and it was a public school, you know, it was part of, you know, it was part of the public school system and we would pray in school before meals. In fact, the first time I moved outside of the community was to Atlanta and it blew my mind when we had lunch and nobody prayed. Like I stood up behind my desk and, you know, folded my hands and I was the only one. <laughs> my teacher looked at me like I was absolutely insane. Like, what are you doing? Are we going to pray? You can pray if you want to. Okay. Yeah. So I had to adjust to that pretty quickly, but yeah. Oh man. One of the best things about growing up in the community was Christmas time. We had the best, like, best Christmas traditions that you're going to find outside the Catholic church. There was this, my favorite memory is the Christmas, um, sing, uh, the Christmas caroling that we did. And it was kind of like a Mex- Mexican Posada where you go around house to house to house, but, and then everybody ends up at the church and then you sing Christmas carols at the church. And there's, there's a little bit of preaching, but not so much that, you know, the kids get bored and Santa Claus came out and every, every kid gets this paper bag that is filled. It's got some candies in it some fruits, candy canes, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, the parents go home and the kids all walk home by them, you know, together. And, you know, that was just, it's like, man, if I could have given my son that kind of experience, you know, where he's got those kind of memories. Now he's got others, you know, he's, he loves uh, the Easter vigil. I, he, he talks about going to the bonfire mass all the time. <laughs> so, you know, he's, he's got his own, man. but you know, it's just, you know, there's always going always to be a special place in my heart for the memories that I have from that time. And weirdly, my first encounter with Catholicism came in the Mennonite community. And it was such a weird thing 
because I had two things. I had a nightlight that was a crucifix. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it, 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 if, if the internet was around back then, I would have sworn it came off of wish.com. <laughs> <laughs> It was so tacky. <laughs> no, three things. <laughs> there was a crucifix in my grandmother's house that what that it was this weird shaped crucifix. I could never figure out what was up with it until I became Catholic and I found out that it was a sick a sick call crucifix where it's it's the box and you you slide the crucifix up and put it in there and there's a couple of candles inside and some holy water and you know and a little uh um piece of piece of cloth for the table. So we she had that. And you know, so it never really struck me as weird because we grew up with it. You know, it was in the house. So, you know, didn't occur to me that it might be weird, even though the church had a regular cross with no corpus on it. But my grandmother had this, and my little nightlight was, you know, had a corpus on it. But yeah. You know. And then there was these books that we had, and it was how to behave in church. And I ended up finding them. I think the Sisters of St. Paul put them out recently in the last like 15 years recently uh <laughs> when you're my age 15 years is recently kids <laughs> but it was how to behave in church and it talked about things like you know when you're driving past a church take your hat off and make the sign of the cross when you you know when you you know come to the church you dip your finger in the holy water and you make the sign of the cross go to the pew you genuflect and you move down to the end of the pew and you you don't never sit in the middle you want to sit all the way down at the end and these great little books for how to behave in church and you know one's I actually got a lot out of, and I found, and, but it didn't occur to me until much later, like, you know, we didn't have holy water. <laughs> Nobody did that genuflecting thing. <laughs> but so, yeah, I mean, like I had these, these little hints of Catholicism in my life up to that point. And I always took the faith really, ser- really seriously. You know, I was, um, to borrow a phrase, I was saved when I was in first grade, I believe either kindergarten or first grade at a church camp. And, you know, I mean, there was, it was, it was a good, simple, sincere faith, you know, I mean, it is, if you're going to compare it to anything, I would say it was, you know, it felt like mere Christianity as far as like C.S. Lewis goes, where it's just the good, comfortable, firm, familiar faith, no dressings, no bells and whistles, but it's what you know, it's what you love. And so, you know, I grew up with that and, you know, it was, it was a great thing. And it, it carried me for a very long time through my childhood and through some hard times too, you know, deaths, deaths of grandparents, you know, I learned how to pray with this. And this is one of the things that I really wonder about, like, you know, this is maybe a conversation that we can have at a certain point, but I think that Protestants actually have a leg up in prayer in some ways to a certain extent, because they rely on mental prayer solely. You know, they don't have um, they don't have the written prayers, the rote prayers like we do. And so, and you really do have to make you don't you don't start off at ground zero and like okay, we're gonna start off with verbal prayer. And then we're gonna go to mental prayer. It's like okay, how do you talk intimately with God? And there's no warm up. <laughs> so yeah, you know, so when. I became Catholic. You know, I had a I had a hard time memorizing the prayers, but I was definitely there for the ejaculatory prayers. You know, I was like, I could, you know, I could do that. You know, I was, you know, adoration was fantastic for that. You know, it's like, okay, I can go in, I can kneel face to face with God, and I can just pour my heart out to Him. 
And so, you know, that's where I think being Protestant really helped me out along the way. But uh, yeah, we moved around quite a bit, moved to different churches. And so there wasn't much continuity in the teaching. I mean, it was all pretty much the same denomination, but you have some churches that focus more on, you know, the end times. You have some churches that focus more on, you know, once saved, only saved by faith alone, this, that, and the other. You know, every church seemed to kind of have its its own little niche, its own little focus. And from the Protestant point of view, it's it's a really good thing that they do that because whatever you're looking for, you're going to find it somewhere. Now, from the Catholic point of view, that comes out with all sorts of nightmarish problems like you know, you know continuity of theology, but little things. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we're moving around and, you know, I ended up going to Bible camps uh, pretty much up until the time that my sister was born. My sister was born when I was 12 and a half. No, I, she was born in June. So I would have been just shy of 13 years old. And so at that point, you know, I stopped going to Bible camps. So I just outgrew them. But, you know, I was always the one standing up at the fire pit, telling, giving my testimony, you know, talking, you know, talking about what God meant to me. And, you know, just, and, you know, I, I loved talking about God, you know, because he really was an intimate friend from early on. You know, just, you know, I didn't have the benefit of the saints and angels and those kind of devotions, but, you know, there was this, I, I'm going to use the word again, intimacy where, you know, I've been praying with Jesus for, you know, a decade now at 13 and, you know, from a time where it's just very simple, you know, it's like, tell him what you need. Okay. Tell him you love him. Okay. You know, thank him for today. Okay. And then from there, the prayer grows and, you know, you grow up praying that way and you really get to some, get to some good places, especially, I mean, if you're doing it every day, if you're doing it, you know, continuously throughout your life, you know, that's how you grow a prayer life. I mean, it starts small, right? you know, you know, it's like father Ripper talks about, you know, start off 15 minutes a day. You know, it doesn't have to be anything elaborate, but you know, and Protestantism did offer me a school of prayer that fit that level. And it was fantastic because there was that intimacy, you know, there was that time with God. When I got to high school, there were girls. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so many. Girls. Well, actually, eventually, eventually there were girls. But yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, man. No, they're actually that, that actually did happen. Um, <laughs> No, when I when I got to high school, you know, I joined this youth group and got into Bible studies, and we started, you know, doing different Bible studies. And one that I ended up doing further on, I think I was a junior, rising senior, was a Bible study on the Book of James. Which dun dun dun. Oh man, <laughs> the Book of Straw. Oh no, I know, man. If you raise a kid saying not by faith alone, or or saying by faith alone, and you give them a book or a Bible study in a book that says not by faith alone, <laughs> there are going to be some concerns raised. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's and so yeah, it. It, that one took a while for me to digest. And it's like, how do I, how do I square this? Because we've got the word of God inerrant saying not by faith alone. 
you know, we've got the word of God saying that, you know, in Acts, it says, you know, the baptism, by baptism that we're saved, you know, Acts 2.38, you know, it, and it was like, how do you square these things? And then it's like, at that point, I think that was like the first, that was just like the first drop of the bucket. You know, I'd started developing this sense of liturgy without being a part of liturgy. <laughs> and like, it was the sense that, you know, if God wants to be worshiped, he wants to be worshiped in a certain way. In Judaism, they had very, very specific ways, even up to the point that if the high priest was to do worship in the wrong way in the Holy of Holies, he would die. <laughs> this is not something that God takes lightly. And I'm looking at all these different churches. It's like, okay, this we got the we got the guitars over here. We've got the choir over here. We've got you know this church over here that has tambourines up and down uh, up and down the pews. We've got you know you know they're teaching this, but they're contradicting it over here. This church is over here saying this, and then we've got the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and you know the Pentecostals, and it's this cacophony of contradiction. And it's like you know, God's not a god of confusion. I've got to figure this out. So I started, you know, I started just thinking about it. And it's like, how does God want to be worshipped? And so I started developing this, this sense of liturgy through the, I guess we did about twice a year, um, through communion. You know, and it's basically the way that we did it is they would have a sermon on Paul talking about how, you know, you eat and drink damnation on yourself, <laughs> which is an extremely Catholic verse. <laughs> and, so bad. Oh my goodness. Yes. They've already got like, the okay, new lectionary. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Novus Ordo, the Protestants are preaching on this. You guys can bring this in. It's important to know it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And it's like, we were taking what we consider to be a symbol. And for, you know, for us, it was a symbol because I mean, there was no consecration. There was, you know, there was no valid orders. There was no nothing. There, there, no one pretended that there was, but you know, we saw it as a symbol. And for us, it was a symbol, and but it, and it was a symbol. Yeah. Yeah. It was a symbol. It was, I mean, it literally was bread. It literally was grape juice because, you know, you don't do alcohol or dance or play cards or, you know, <laughs> You know, get tattoos or trick or treat as a punk rocker when you're seven years old, or you know, or live in Toronto. <laughs> What's that? Or live in Toronto. Or live in Toronto, <laughs> man. Yeah, scandalous. <laughs> but yeah, so so we got the you know we got this preaching on how serious it, taking communion is, and it's like, why would you eat and drink death onto yourself or a symbol? And I chewed on that forever. Yeah, you know, it's like why you know why is this symbol so serious that you risk damnation? And I just and and again, it's another thing I just couldn't square. It's like okay, if I could see if it was really Jesus, and I I came across John six later because <laughs> we you know we didn't have too many uh, sermons on John six. That's a book you don't really hear too often, but. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, and so, you know, going through this process of just like, you know, the cards start to fall, you know, getting more drops in the bucket. It's like, okay. And I got this crazy idea and I, I don't even, I think it was innocent enough at that point that it wasn't really like full on blasphemy, but you know, that 
it really was that, you know, communion, despite what we were saying about it being simple, that it really was Jesus. So, you know, I'm starting to build towards Catholicism. I still don't have a full understanding of it yet, but, you know, was, I started getting this sacramental theology that was, okay, so this is something that really does something for us. It's so serious that we could die spiritually if we take it, if we take it without being in an actual worthy state. We didn't say state of grace, but being worthy. And, you know, then couple that with, um, with James and it's like, okay, well, maybe works are good, but what do, you know, what do we mean by works? You know, is it, you know, feeding the hungry, raising, you know, uh, clothing the naked, you know, admonishing the sinners. Is that what we're talking about by works or, you know, what does it mean that we mean by works? So I've got all these questions. I'm like 16, 17 years old. So I'm not really entirely equipped to answer them quite yet, but I'm going through and finally I'm talking with one of my friends about it and She's like, Tim, you're just too Catholic to be Protestant. What? She's like, yeah, you're, you're, you're talking Catholicism right now. That's, I, I had no idea about the Catholic church. I wasn't anti-Catholic. I wasn't, you know, I didn't think that there was anything wrong with Catholicism just because like it existed out there as a historical fact and nothing more. I just zero exposure to it whatsoever outside of a nightlight. So but uh, at that point, I was like, I took that to heart. And so I started reading. And this was the beginning of AOL and like 1996, 1997. Uh, Brooke, you're so young. <laughs> yeah, we've moved into the part of the story where Brooke was actually born. Brooke so, was. It born. was the year 1991. <laughs> okay, Tim had so just you discovered AOL. <laughs> no. Okay. So Brooke was born in 91. That I was. 11 turning 12 then. So you, you've been in with us for a little bit now, <laughs> but yeah. So I get Welcome online the story. and I start going into these chat rooms and it's, you know, the Catholic chat and the other. I just start throwing questions out there. I'm like, you know, what is the church? You know, what does Catholicism teach about this? What does Catholicism teach about salvation? What does Catholicism teach about works? What do they, teach about, you know, the inerrancy of scripture and, you know, uh, the authority of the Bible. I was, you know, starting to start off with very, very promising questions, but, you know, over time is like, you know, there's a bunch of people in there who were really stupid patient with me. <laughs> it's, you know, I, you know, I've a lot of, a lot of the questions that I had, you know, they gave me very uncomfortable answers for because they were just so coherent and They'd point me to websites like, oh, you go check out this website. And it's got a list of verses that line up with Catholic teaching. And so I I had my little uh my little Bible from the from the pew of the church that I was going to, where I was the sound tech. And I started organizing it by every citation I could find that uh that had Catholicism in it. And if you could see this at home, I know this is a not a video, uh a video. I'll get a picture of this brick. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Let's see here. Yeah. Let's get a good light on there. You got that? Yep. That is not all of them because I've got more on the side too. 
So if you want to find, if you want to find Catholicism in scripture, you can even find it in an NIV Bible. But I went through, (laughs) I even organized it by color coding the topics. So I had, let's see, Sola Fide was blue, Salvation, Eucharist, Sola Scriptura, Mary, Peter and the Keys of the Kingdom, Confession, Tradition, Foundation of Truth, uh, Baptism, Apostasy, Mortal Sin, Prayers to Saints. I mean, I had a, a like topics I was able to go through and be like, okay, this is where we find this, this is purgatory, this is this, this is that. And so it was just like, wow, this is really interesting. Why haven't I heard about this? And why haven't, you know, why haven't I seen these verses in this context before? Because a lot of them are verses that make no sense if you're Protestant. You know, giving Peter the keys to the kingdom, you have no context for it. It's like, okay, he gave Peter the keys to the kingdom. You know, it's just a thing. You know, it's not, it, there's no meaning that's attached to it. There's no significance to it. But when you look at it, you know, you know, Peter's given the keys to the kingdom in Matthew, but then he, you go back to Isaiah and the keys of the kingdom are given to the, uh, to the steward who waits for the king, which is exactly what Peter is doing. He's, you know, he's, he's holding the office of steward. Right now we've got Denethor, unfortunately, but you know, these things happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have yeah, to we're all about to again. burn like the heathen kings of old <laughs> oh my goodness but yeah so and it's these these concepts that you know for for me as a protestant i understood things in a very democratized way but i had to come back and understand or had to learn that scripture was written to a people in the context of kingdoms and empires not in the context of democracies and so how i was understanding even the political implications of certain verses was completely off when you go back and you start understanding that you know hey the keys have significance you know they are actual factual authority and here's where it's referenced here and oh it's in revelation too (laughs) and too also um not revelation book two but or chapter two but yeah i so it just started, it started falling. And like, I had all these, all these verses I was looking at, I was like, holy cow, this is actually lining up. And it means something very, very scary because either I'm going to have to ignore it at my peril, or I'm going to have to change. And it was right there that I had, that I made the decision to ignore it entirely. So and it didn't last <laughs> because you know once you start getting the truth into your bones you know it eats away at you i started praying every night because i was i was confused i was torn up i was you know it's like god i was raised with this you know this is this it feels true you know protestantism protestantism feels true as a protestant you know it's your entire context it's your entire worldview at that point but I've got this mountain of evidence that says that it's not what I think it is and that there's something else that's better. And so I started praying, God, if you lead me to the truth, I'll follow. I don't know what that is, but whatever it is, you just lead me there and I will go. And I prayed that essentially over the entire course of my conversion and ended up becoming Catholic. (laughs) But it was, it took a little bit more than that too. The biggest thing that 
I ended up not being able to give up. Finally, the final like the the final straw that broke the camel's back was the Eucharist. Going back to this idea that I had, you know, back when you know back when I was watching communion, thinking why why are we taking this so seriously? It's like oh, maybe it is the body and blood of Jesus. You know, maybe it's, maybe it is what he says it is. And I realized, like, okay, I can get so much of Catholicism anywhere else. I can go, you know, Lutherans have a bunch of it. You know, Baptists even have some. Uh, Mennonites have a sprinkling of it. They, I'm just kidding, guys. <laughs> there's, there's, let's be serious. There's no Mennonites listening to this. <laughs> no, uh, I jest. But no, I mean, Mennonites have, Mennonites have some really good solid preaching and there's a lot of truth there, but it's not all of the truth. The one thing that I couldn't find anywhere else was the Eucharist. Just, you know, Episcopalians have a lot, you know, if I wanted the liturgy, I could go become Episcopal and be easy. Nobody would bat an eye. Oh, Tim's going to, you know, St. Andrew's down the road. Okay. But I ended up, uh, ended up deciding to become Catholic because I wandered into a uh, an adoration chapel one night over at Transfiguration Catholic Church over in Marietta, Georgia, and I spent all night there. And then I went back, and I went back again and again. And if you spend time in front of the Eucharist, it changes you. There is absolutely consequences to be paid for spending time with God. They're good ones. But there are consequences because it will change who you are as a person from the inside out. And that's what, that's what I found with me was that it really changed who I was in a lot of ways. And even without having access to the sacraments at that time, the grace that I received from that, you know, Scott Hahn, when his conversion story, he talks about how his wife could tell if he hadn't been to confession in a few weeks and she would, you know, even, even as still a Protestant, she would be like, you need to go to confession. Yeah. Cause he's just not as nice of a person, you know, it's just not as easy to be around. And that's the thing. It's like, I spend time in front of the Eucharist and it's softened my heart, you know, and this is a time where I was in some turmoil because Starting from the about the age of 15 through about 17, my father was in and out of the house quite a bit. And ultimately at 17, he left for good. And it hurt. You know, it destroyed a big part of me at that point. It took a lot of my identity. You know, because you know, it's my father. And he raised me in a certain way. And all of a sudden he wasn't there. And not only was he not there because something had happened, but he wasn't there because he made a decision to live counter to the things that he'd taught me and the way that he'd taught me to live. And that felt like betrayal. Mm-hmm. And you know, in a lot of my a huge part of my life, I was in a tailspin and I hardened. I mean, I I isolated. I did all the things that teenagers do, you know, probably what kept me on track was one of my high school teachers. Uh, and I was in RTC in high school and, you know, chief John Futrell, man, that guy, you know, 
he stepped in so hard. He taught me how to balance a checkbook. He taught me how to write a resume. He taught me how to do so many things that my dad was not there to do. And, you know, for the guys that don't, for, for the kids that don't have fathers in, you know, we need somebody like that. Yeah, it just, it fills such a gap and he couldn't do everything, but what he did was amazing. And, you know, <clears throat> he taught me some principles that I still carry to this day. You know, leadership by example. You know, it's one of the things when I was leading scouts, and that was one of the things I would tell the kids all the time. You know, it's like you lead by example, whether you know it or not, you're an example. Make it a good one. But uh, yeah, so my dad stepped out and began living another life at that point. And we've since reconciled. In fact, we just recently spent a weekend together at my sister's wedding. And, you know, there's so many wounds that have been healed just through God's grace and all that. But, you know, at that point, I really did need the Eucharist, even in the distanced form that I was able to be exposed to it through adoration. But kneeling face to face with God has a profound effect, and it it softened my heart. It changed my soul in a lot of ways, and it it really it made it where I I had to have more. You know, I couldn't stop at just being face to face with God. I had to have that union, and so, you know, eventually I was able to complete RCIA, and well, I didn't complete RCIA actually. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in college, I was playing soccer and ended up collapsing on the soccer field. I was unconscious for a little bit, woke up, there was paramedics there. And, um, they thought I was having an asthma attack. Turned out that I had a heart condition. Yeah. <laughs> so ended up getting transported to the hospital. They put me on 12 lead. And at this point, I've got no medical training whatsoever. So I have no idea what's going on. I've just... You know, the closest I'd gotten to medical training was going through uh, fire school. And so I'd seen paramedics and EMTs working, but you know, that was, I was, I was a hose dragger, but uh, yeah. So I wake up in the back of an ambulance essentially. And, you know, they get to the hospital, they put me on 12 lead and they say, you know, you've got this heart problem and it's an electrical conduction problem. You're going to need some surgery for this. So at that point, uh, father Neil brought me into the church, you know, baptized or conditional baptism. Uh, because we weren't sure if my baptism counted uh, since I've finally been able to track down the preacher who did it. And we talked about it and the way he does it is 100% in line with Catholic church. So I was actually validly baptized, uh, you know, went through and got confirmed and received first Eucharist and also received uh, anointing of the six. So I got four sacraments. Uh, let's see, uh, let's see, baptism, confirmation, confession, First Eucharist and annoying six. So I got five sacraments all in one go. Wow. <laughs> I was making up for lost time. Wow. Not bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was floating on cloud nine for a little bit there. But uh, yeah, so I, I ended up going to St. Joe's for my heart surgery. And I, at the time, I was reading uh, the story of a soul, St. Therese de Lisieux. And the priest who was working as the chaplain in the hospital came by and he said, Hey, I see that you're reading St. Therese. I was like, yeah, you know, I figure if uh, things go bad since I've started the book, uh, I could get her to finish it. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, a little morbid humor. I'm sorry, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I, you know, my mom was in the waiting room. I said, Hey, my mom's out in the waiting room. Can you go talk to her and ask her if she wants to go to confession? She's not Catholic, but it'll just raise her hair if you do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And he was such a good sport. He did it too. So. But yeah, and so yeah, and the journey, you know, that time we're talking that was two, June 9th, 2001, that I was brought into the Catholic Church. And then I had my surgery, let's see, wait first, 19th. On the, I ended up having my surgery on the 19th because two days after I had my surgery, I went and interviewed Mother Angelica over at the monastery up in Hansville, Alabama. What? Wait, what? Yes. Yeah. She was awesome. <laughs> that was yeah. seriously like one of the highlights of my life so far. But uh, I was I was in I was on staff with an online magazine called One Rock. One Rock. One Rock. Did I not tell you guys about this? Yes. Well, no. no. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah. It's no big deal. Just share my testimony. Boom, 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 boom. Okay. Mike, Mike, did you, did you read one rock or go to the website back in the day? No, I was writing for it. That's amazing. Yeah. No, I was, uh, yeah, I was at some point I ended up becoming like an editor and that's amazing. uh, Yeah. So I I loved one rock as a kid. I loved one rock. (laughs) So much, it was so much fun. I, yeah. I mean, we had a great group there, you know, ah, gosh. Sissy was our copy editor and she gave me so much trouble over just the way I wrote. And, you know, Martin, who was the, was the kid who founded it. And he's, he's such a good guy. Um, and Credo, I don't know who's his name. Credo. Uh, he went, he ended up going to Notre Dame. So we had a really good core group of people there and it was so much fun just, you know, getting to know them and talking. And the thing is, it's like, I got put as the expert for evangelization because I've been doing a whole lot of digging into, you know, Catholicism and really good arguments for it. Because <laughs> when I was when I was looking at it, it's like, okay, I've got verses. Now, what are the arguments against Catholicism? And I went and I looked up, you know, I've read David Hunt, I read all the you know, uh, Lorraine Bettner's Roman Catholics. I read like all the standard anti-Catholic propaganda that's out there. But then I said, okay, what are the best arguments? against these and so you know i was like okay i've got the anti-catholic side let's find out what the catholics say about the things that they've said and i think taking that extra step really paid off because it just it brought about an understanding it's like okay here are the arguments here are the arguments against it and here's why but uh so yeah they ended up being the resident expert for um evangelization and we had a couple others uh Father Jeffrey Keys, he's uh, he's a traditional priest out in uh, San Diego, I believe now, and awesome, awesome man. Uh, let's see, Pete Very, he was a Canadian who was raised in the SSPX and ended up leaving when he became a canon lawyer. He was the uh, he was the expert on canon law, and so we had you know a really good group of people there, and that was that was definitely a place where I was fed when i needed to have that kind of community i've always it seems like i've always found community online pretty easily <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so it's 
yeah, but uh, so they found they found out that I lived not too far from uh, a day's drive from Mother Angelica. Oh, you've got to go, you got to go, and it's like okay, well, and I booked time. I, I called up I called up the monastery and I talked to the nuns and said, like, hey, this is what I want to do, and you know, I'm like oh, it sounds great, you know, they were at least quasi familiar with the website, and they. You know, they like, yeah, come on out. We'll give you a tour. You know, you can, you know, see the, see everything, go to mass and you can talk with mother for a couple of hours. And so I got to sit down with mother Angelica for a couple hours, but I booked this thing way before I scheduled the surgery. So it ended up being like two days after I had surgery. Oh man. (laughs) So, oh man, it was so, it was so difficult, but like, you know, just being able to sit there and, you know, we talked about so much stuff we covered like and one of the things that we talked about was divorce because by this point my parents had gotten divorced and you know her parents were divorced and so you know i was you know what do you tell somebody after their parents are divorced and she's like simple you just go to the one who loves you you know and i'm not talking about your mother i'm not talking about your father and she pointed up in the air and she said I'm talking about your father. Man, I didn't, there was not a dry eye in the room. (laughs) (laughs) She was so sweet though, man. She was, she was behind the grill. I wanted to give her a hug so much, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, yeah, so this was 2001 and this was in the middle of the, um, one of the big initial scandals. And, I had a lot of people asking me, it's like, do you regret becoming Catholic? And I said, no, no, I don't regret it one bit because I didn't become Catholic because these priests are good or these, you know, these priests are popular. I didn't become Catholic because John Paul II was a rock star. I didn't, you know, I became Catholic because Christ is Christ and I need him. You know, I became Catholic because I fell in love with the Eucharist. I came, became Catholic because I met God through the sacraments. Yeah. yeah. So, and meant to that. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just, you know, you've got to love the faith. I mean, if, if you're just doing this because you're a raised Catholic, either get out or fall in love one or the other. I, I hate to say that, but it really, that's really what it is. I mean, there's so much here and there's so much here for everybody. Uh, there's, they say that Protestantism is a desert and Catholicism is a jungle. And it's really hard to sort out like, okay, what kind of devotions am I drawn to? Because very quickly it's like, Oh, I'm praying 16 novenas and you know, <laughs> I've got 72 saints and that and the other. It's okay. This is getting overwhelming. I need to simplify down, but you know, there's so much. I mean, there, you know, feast days, there's feasting and fasting. There's, you know, bonfires before easter and 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 you know it's just there's so much to love you know there's processions and candles and you know just bells and incense there's beauty and truth and goodness that's if you can't find something to love you don't know how to love right that's 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 it if you can't find something to love in the catholic church you don't know how to love word so yeah um, Quick, so so 
so tell us. So that was like 2001, 2003. Yes. So, yeah. so let's kind of fast forward a little bit. So what, what has drawn you now to a more, I mean, I guess that you've kind of answered that, but like, how have you essentially, um, like, how do you see God moving in your life right now? I'm finding God through other people quite a bit. And it's something that began with my son, and which I think that I think for anybody who's a parent, it's that it's going to be that way. It's you can't look at life that's been created and not see God shining through. Yeah. The first time that I saw my son, you know, he was in the NICU and he was intubated and had IVs and, you know, was bandaged up and, I walked over to the the bassinet. I don't know what they call them. The bassinet that he was in, and I just put my hand on his chest, and I stood there and I felt him breathe and I felt his heartbeat. And that was the first time that I really understood how a father loves. And at that point, you know. I still hadn't reconciled with my dad at that point, but I made a promise to him right there. Uh, it's like, you know, I'm going to be the father to you that I wish I had. And that was the, really like the first time where I made that connection. But, you know, raising a child is only one way to that you know, service to the poor, you know, there is a Catholic worker house that was not too far from me, which raging communists, but man, they love the poor. (laughs) 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 I, 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 I was, I was so happy to know them, but I was so happy to know them for the good that they did, not the crazy ideals that they pushed forward. But, uh, you know, and you know, it was, it was so funny. I the first time I showed up to volunteer, I was wearing this old army jacket and a beanie. It was like middle of December, and I'd grown my beard out a little bit. And I knocked on the door, and they looked at me and said, "The kitchen will open in twenty minutes." And I said, "No, no, no! I'm here to volunteer." <laughs> so, so yeah, and yeah, I spent I spent time doing that, and then you know, through my patience. Yeah, there's, I've, for those who don't know, you know, I work as a uh, paramedic and there's a lot of times that I will just be humbled by my patients. And there's one when I was working in an ER and his, he was on hospice care for a long, long time. The guy was, I think he was like 98, 99 years old, and it wasn't unexpected that he was going to die. But one of the great grandchildren or grandchildren was having a wedding in another city. I think it was in South Carolina or something like that. And he ended up coming into the ER and it was very obvious that he wasn't going to make it through the hour, let alone long enough for somebody to get back from South Carolina to be with him. And so I was able to sit with him and I just sat with him and I prayed 
you know, he wasn't even, he wasn't alert and oriented. He didn't know I was there, but you know, I just sat with him and held his hand and just watched on the monitor as, you know, his respirations dropped and his heart rate dropped. And very slowly, he just, he slipped away. And it was quiet and peaceful. Just that moment where I was just, I felt like something holy had just happened. And there was another time where it wasn't even my patient. It was the wife of the patient. Uh, you know, it's an elderly gentleman who committed suicide. And it was ugly. Uh, it was just, and his wife had found him and she was torn up. And, you know, we called time of death with the uh, patient, but, you know, sat there, took my truck out of service for about four hours and sat with her and, you know, she told us about how they dated and, you know, what it was like when they were married and how, you know, he was an over the road trucker. So he was gone for long periods of time and how they would keep in touch and how she would always write a stack of letters to send with them for every day that he was going to be gone. And, you know, we just talked about the good times. And, you know, he said that when he died, that he wanted to have um, a Creedence Clearwater song played at his funeral. It was as long as I can see the light. Yeah. And my partner pulls out this guitar from the corner of the room and starts playing it. And we all like all three of us are just in tears singing the song. And, you know, we, we were there for hours and finally the family came and, you know, she was able to, you know, be with the people who loved her. And she's like, oh, you know, what do I do now? And I was like, well, you ask them to do things for you. <laughs> ask them to buy, you know, ask them to go get food, ask them to do your laundry, ask them, you know, cause they're looking for stuff to do, but you know, just, you know, let them, let them love you for a while. And, you know, just, you know, just sitting with somebody who had just lost that much and just, seeing the spirit that they had within them. I just, I said, it's, it's humbling. Man. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love my job. It, I get to do the best things in the world, but I have to do the worst things in the world sometimes. And, you know, I've worked hundreds or more cardiac arrests. I've gotten very, very few of them back. I've delivered 11 kids. And wow. I don't know how many hands I've held, but man, it's a beautiful life. God's everywhere. And it's, and he's where you find, you don't have to get on an ambulance to find God. You don't have to go to a homeless shelter to find God. God's everywhere. You know, God's in your kitchen. Brooke. <laughs> <My bread. laughs> Cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But yeah, it's you know, like I said though. I mean, it's when when you love somebody, you see them everywhere, and you know that's that's me with God. You know, it's everywhere I go, I find them. You know, in the big things, the little things. You know, in sometimes every, in the people that in, rub me the wrong way. In every blade you know? of grass. Every blade of grass, but yeah, so don't. 
<laughs> so yeah, I, that's that's really it for me. You know, I just you know, God is. Yeah, that's it. If I ever have a prayer card, I want it to be this big ugly mug on there, and at the bottom, I want to say God is. Period. So. I'll do it for you. You'll That's be awesome. dead too. <laughs> Wait, no. <laughs> I'll, I'll make it now and then I'll just like write it on an envelope for when there Tim dies. Not just <laughs> put it away. <laughs> yeah. Mail it to the uh to the congregation for the canonization of the saints or whatever. They call it. <laughs> yeah. Just in advance. <laughs> for future like, reference. Yeah. Why is this like the prayer card version of it is your birthday period? <laughs> Not even an exclamation mark. <laughs> Bunch of brown half inflated balloons. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's great. So yeah, Tim, thanks yeah. for thanks for sharing that. Um mm. that, Thank you. it's obviously been an incredible journey. But I think something that really stuck out to me um that you said was just the the absolute importance of of the most holy Eucharist um in in the life of faith. Like um, and just how much that impacted you, you know, and uh, I know we've kind of talked about it in the past, but you know, how even now, like as you're kind of in a, in a new discovery of the, the more traditional side of the faith, right. All those things that you experienced in your Protestantism, all the good things that were there, um, you know, and all the things, especially in your early in your early conversion and things like that, are playing into this too. You know, um, you know, we've talked about oh, yeah. how you love Carmelite spirituality, and you love talking to your your kids in Sunday school about mental prayer and about the stages of the interior life, and you know, the fact that you have this profound. Um, love for for the traditional liturgy too and um i don't know about you but for myself i find that it's so much more suited to that life of prayer to that Absolutely. actual worship and love of god in the soul um and yeah and yeah yeah and here's what here's what i think about that when we go through those traditional prayers it's kind of like, well, it's not kind of, it's like when we pray the Psalms, it gives us the language for prayer. And, you know, a lot of the newer prayers are just so, I don't know, what's the word for it? They're just so loose with the language, but God wants to be worshiped in a certain way. And he's given us the language for it. You know, he's, we have the Psalms. This is how God wants to be praised. And the traditional liturgies and the traditional uh, prayers mimic and mirror that and quote that, you know, word for word. So I think that that's why there is, they're incredibly suited for growing the spiritual life where, you know, the Catholic prayers are good in the Novus Ordo, but you lose so much between the two. You know, if you go from no sort of prayer uh, formulations to the traditional prayer formulations, there's so much more meat 
there's so much that's added that or not added, but there's so much that's there that's been lost by the council. And at a certain point, there's a cost that you pay because you lose the capacity to talk to God in that way. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and like you were saying um, about basically that language of love towards God, you know, the language of the liturgy just is, it's just full of love for God. Um, And yeah. Um, So anyway, yeah, Tim, thank you for, for sharing that. And uh, it is, it is an honor and a joy to have you as part of our, our podcasting team. Like this is just, honestly, it's been, it's been so cool getting to know and see what, God has done in your life and is doing in your life. And, um, and the fact that you were part of one rock is still blowing my mind. Um, cause that, that, I mean, that website back in the day, man, like dude, one rock was so Mike good. Roach. Sorry. I, I, sorry. Credo was Mike Roach. Yep. Sorry. I remember, I remember the name. I remember the name. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Like there yeah. was, yeah, there was, I mean, that was the days of like, that was right. I, I guess fat mass was just about starting. Like yeah, we, was... we were between CYO and fat mass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So good. Back, back in the day when the life teen website too, was actually good. Oh man. Yeah. Mm. It's, and the Vatican website was actually up to date then. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Right about the time in the story where we passed Brooke being born, that was probably yeah. when the Vatican website was last GeoCities. <laughs> Vatican.va from GeoCities. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, but I, you know what? I, I thought if it's okay with you guys, um, just to cap off, the uh, the podcast. Um, I just read a quick quote from uh, Saint um, or from Pope Pius the Twelfth on the Eucharist. Um, I thought it was fitting, so um, just kind of bringing it all back together. So Pope Pius the Twelfth says, "Oh, if people who continually deplore the scourges which afflict the world, the mistrust which makes every remedy useless." the darkness overshadowing people's minds, the weariness unnerving their wills, the greed giving free reign to their passions. If people only knew that inexhaustible mind of spiritual strength, which the Eucharist offers to every soul, how much nearer the hour of fulfillment of their noblest ideals. Everything true, everything holy, everything eternal, Everything divine accomplished by the church in her 2,000 years of existence has its origin, development, and nourishment in the mystery of the Eucharist. History is quick to testify and prove that at every time and in every place where devotion to the Blessed Sacrament flourished, there were recorded those wonderful Christian achievements of which Catholicism is justly proud. No holy supernatural action, no good and great deed has ever been performed by Christ's followers on earth, which did not draw inspiration and strength from the Eucharist, that is from Christ himself, become the food of souls. Mm. 
end quote. Right on. Sweet. Sweet. Stay tratty. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs>